0: Well, good day, mates. (laughs) Nice to see you, Bruce's and Sheila's. (laughs) No worries. (laughs) No, sorry. Um, I can't speak Australian. Um, But it is a joy to be with you, and it's a joy to be something that's on the fringe, because I've always felt on the fringe. And it's a joy... I know it's going to sound strange to talk about this subject, and I want to say to those of you who are visitors... Hang with this, okay? I was at a football match yesterday, and I left early, and I missed my team's goal. So hang, hang with it, and you'll, you'll see where we're going, because this isn't easy. Uh, yesterday, my wife was reading our uh, grandson, a book that I bought from Jonathan Gibson's The Moon is Always Round, and it looks like a nice children's book. And you start reading it, and it's really about the death of a baby sister, For a child. It's actually beautifully done. But she said at one point, oh, I don't know where this is going. And I want you to hold on as we go through this uh, incredible chapter in God's Word. Uh, I want you to hold on until we get where we're going. Because I don't like the term trigger warning, but for many of us, it will be triggering. This is personal. For me, this is incredibly personal. And sometimes one of the ways we cope with suffering is to shut it out and to ignore it but that doesn't take away the suffering and the pain is still there and sometimes people just want to say everything's going to be fine and it's not uh, i studied at university here and uh, had a poster up on my wall which said i was fed up and down and they told me to cheer up and smile cuz things could get could get worse So I did cheer up, I did smile, and things did get worse. Um, And sometimes it does feel like that. So uh, we're gonna ask this question about why people suffer. It's such a big question, and it's one of the key stumbling blocks for many people. Um, I now live and work in Sydney, and uh, I was a minister in Broer in Sutherland, in, in Scotland here, obviously, And there was a wonderful woman from there called Anna Sutherland, and she went from there to Sydney to witness, to to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to the Jews of Sydney. Now, we're going to look at other religions uh, tonight, but she had an incredible ministry. And one day, she was sitting in a cafe on Bandai Beach, talking to some of her young Jewish friends. And... uh, I'm gonna show you a slide of a place that I was that she started speaking about. Uh, work makes free, that's of course the gates of Auschwitz. When I was at university here, that's what I studied, the rise of Weimar, the, Weimar Germany and the rise of the Nazis. And I was always greatly puzzled. How could such evil exist in this world? And Anna was sitting in a cafe on Bondi Beach talking to some of her young Jewish friends. One of whom said, I don't believe in a God who would allow Auschwitz. She was thinking about what to say when this elderly woman reached over, rolled up her sleeve, and said, I believe in God. And she showed her Auschwitz tattoo. Sometimes people who suffer are more prone to believe. Why? Because we need an answer for our suffering. Now, there are lots of questions in this, and there's no way that we're going to be able to look at all of this before. uh, If if we were to try and look at it all, you'd still be here by the time the evening service started, and I don't want to make you suffer in that way. And so, uh, if you do have questions, I think it's a great idea to speak to people afterwards. And I think, feel free to email me at theweeflee at gmail.com. But the basic argument that goes like this, in terms of Auschwitz, if God is all-powerful, then he could prevent suffering. If he was good, then he would want to. Since there is suffering, there cannot be an all-powerful and good God. How do we deal with this question? We we could deal with it as a philosophical one, and I'm very happy to do that. Because I actually think the existence of evil and suffering is a pointer to God rather than away from God. C.S. Lewis wrote a great book called The Problem of Pain. But then when his wife died, he wrote, I think, a better book called A Grief Observed. They're two great books, actually. Now, I'm conscious that as each of us here hears God's word, that we will have different perspectives. And for some of you, this is, as it is for me, deeply personal. So we're going to approach this through this poem in in Job. I love the book of Job and can I highly recommend uh, a commentary. I know people don't normally read commentaries by Christopher Ash, but it's probably the best commentary I've ever read and uh, it's just a delight to read it as you go through this book with Ash. But we're just going to focus on chapter three and uh, Job's first, it's a poem, it's very poetic, it's very good poetry actually. And uh, this is a song as well, it's a song of grief. It's, there's a lot in it. We'll look at death and euthanasia and abortion and the worship of God and the blues and monsters and depression. It's, just for those of you who don't know Job's story, the first two chapters have dealt with his outward circumstances. They are narrative. How he lost his family, his wealth, his friends, and his health, and his position in society. He lost basically everything except his life. I'm working with some people in Sydney just now who are producing a half-million-dollar movie just of the text of the Book of Job. Uh, it should be out uh, in about two or three months' time. And it's been fascinating working with them as they, not, not all of whom are Christians, have come to appreciate One of the the greatest poems ever written. Now we come to this bit where Job doesn't talk about his outward circumstances. He talks about his inner feelings. And he he was, it just boils up inside him. It's the blues. It's, uh, for those of you who are into bagpiping, not the kind of bad bagpiping you get on the Royal Mile, but Pibroch which is classical bagpiping. I bet you didn't know there was such a thing as classical bagpipe music. There is, but basically it's all lament. It's always lament. It's the blues, and Job is desperately trying to get together his experience and his faith, and he's just expressing how he feels, and basically how he feels is he wants to die. Now, some of you, I know, have had that experience. You just want it to be over some it's just a casual thing you think I wish this world was over I wish my life was over but some really you just think I can't I can't take this world anymore I can't take my life anymore and that is what Job is saying and it's real depression you can't come to Job and say hey Job just snap out of it mate you'll be all right things turn out all right in the end you can't say that to Job So how can we be encouraged by this? I think this poem is a thing of great beauty. Out of great pain sometimes comes great beauty. I think of the singer Sinead O'Connor who died a couple of weeks ago. Uh, What a painful life she lived. But her music is extraordinarily beautiful. Because she tried to face up to it through her music. I also think that in the Bible, it is biblical to realize there are songs of pain and psalms of lament. Not everything is happy clappy. You come in here and you're a visitor, and the, the singing's great, and it's wonderful. And I'm sure if you were writing a wee diary, you'd say, I went to a church, and lots of people were singing, and it wasn't dull, and some will be a wee bit snide and go, oh, they're very happy clappy. Now, this is not happy clappy. You should try a Pentecostal church. <laughs> but, um, you know, or there's an, an African church I go to in Sydney. You no, know, that's happy clappy, and and snappy and feet and everything that's great but sometimes as well there are songs of joy but there are songs of lament so three verses in this uh, poem in this chapter dominated by two words may which is used 13 times and why which is used five times so let's just do verses 1 to 10 uh, and I'm I'm just going to mention them uh, and point out the main things within them the questions he asks: why was I born why was I born? The, a baby being born is such a wonderful thing. I, I love seeing um, newborn babies. I, and I love meeting with the babies. I feel I can communicate with babies better than I communicate. Basically, I, for me, when someone reaches double digits in terms of age, I, I struggle with communication after that. I, I like children and I like babies. And uh, I feel, you know, I could have been a politician because I could go around and hug babies all the time. but. You know, baby is a a thing of great joy. But Job says, no, I curse the day that I was born. Now what Job says makes no sense, by the way. You can't change what's happened in the past. But Job is just expressing how he feels. Job says that his birth was a day of false happiness and wishes it never happened. If you think Job is bad, Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 14 says this, Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, which made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, for he didn't kill me in the womb, with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame. Job doesn't curse God. You'll notice that. He curses the day of his birth. And it's interesting that a significant part of this verse of this song is concerned with his conception as well. Verses 6 to 9, that night may thick darkness. When he goes on to talk about how he was conceived. The shout of joy in verse 7 is about the joy of conception. I'm pregnant. I'm going to have a child. And Job says, No, no, this was a bad day. And then he has a nightmare, verse 8. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. Now, Leviathan was the stuff of n- nightmares. Um, th- some think it was a crocodile, mentioned in Job 41 but it's more likely a prehistoric monster or uh, some kind of popular myth. In the Ugaritic literature of the Canaanites, eclipses were said to be caused by Leviathan, swallowing the sun or the moon. Great sorcerers were said to be able to raise Leviathan. Psalm 104 verse 26 mentions Leviathan, as does Isaiah 27 verse one. The Lord will punish with his sword his fierce, great, and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent. He will slay the monsters of the sea. So Job is saying, this world is filled with monsters. There's a great song by uh, Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits called Cannibals. I I suggest you go listen to it. Um, it's, It's a beautiful song because it's a song, a dad singing to his son, saying, Daddy, you know, are there, are there cannibals? Are there monsters? And daddy, is he a goody or a baddie? Leave a light outside the door because I'm scared. Daddy, why do people go to war? I'm scared. And the, 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 the line that the father sings to him is, once upon a time there were cannibals. There are no cannibals anymore. But those, those monsters, those fears, those, those dreads that so many people have, And in our world, I believe our politicians are making a phenomenal mistake by using fear to motivate people. It's bad enough when it's done by religion, and religion often does it. But when it's done in politics, it's terrifying. Because people do get terrified, and you can't pull it back. And Job, in all of this, he asks for chaos. His world's collapsed. It's become like hell to him. He wants everything to go back to chaos. Instead of light, let there be darkness. The whole, there's a whole bunch of synonyms in here, which Hebrew is very rich in in terms of its language. Blackness, like a tornado. Darkness, black gloom. The eyelids of the dawn, he talks about. If I rise on the wings of the dawn. And again, he comes back and says, this is just suffering. He said, it's interesting, by the way, that Job, the Bible says that you are a human being. If you are here and you're pregnant, you don't have an it within you. There is a human being already created in the image of God. So he said, why? Why was I allowed to be born? Verses 11 to 19, let's look at that. Why did I not die? He's asking why he's allowed to continue to live. He says death will be sweeter than life. He contrasts the misery of his life with the quiet and peace of what the Hebrews called Sheol, the place of the dead. In verses 11 to 13, he he regrets that he could sit on his mother's knee because he was fed and it meant he could be alive. And in verse 16, it's so pathetic because he talks about a stillborn child, which is one of the most tragic things that can ever happen to anybody One of the good things that the Scottish government did was to recognize the pain that people feel with a stillborn child. Of course, it was uh, contrary because they also promote abortion at the same time. But nonetheless, it was a good thing that 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 was done because it is a real pain. But Job says, I wish I'd been like that. Why? Because the stage on which his life is being played has collapsed. It's become a theater of the absurd. It's become a place where the normal rules have disappeared, where good is not rewarded and where evil is not punished, where bad things happen to good people and where the law of cause and effect no longer applies, where you stand outside the gates of Auschwitz. And in fact, to go into Auschwitz, the thing that most gets you is when you see the thousands of children's shoes. I, I don't understand people who go to Auschwitz as a tourist thing. I went there once. I'd studied Nazi Germany. I did not want to go. I went there once. Unless I take one of my children, I won't go there again. How? How, how, can, how can such suffering exist and how can human beings do that? The moral order is gone. Everything's disappeared. Nothing has any meaning anymore. Why do bad people seem to prosper and good people get hurt? Life would be so simple if all the bad guys got struck down and all the good people got rewarded. That's what a lot of religions teach and it's rubbish because that's not how life works. Joni Erickson, who's a very famous Christian who was had a severe, uh, severe, she is severely handicapped. Um, She's one of my heroes. I got into a lift in in, uh, Jackson once And Joni Erickson was there, and you know, I mean, I was just just a total fanboy. Uh, And I I did a really desperate thing. I said, can I take a selfie with you? (laughs) Which is really bad, I never do anything like that. But she's just such a a wonderful woman, a wonderful Christian. And this is what she says about this, asking why did God allow her to be paralyzed from the neck down? What if God had suddenly consented to answer all my queries? Could I even have begun to handle it? It would have been like pouring a million gallon truths into a one ounce container. My poor pea brain would not have been able to process it. You be careful what you ask for. You want to understand. Be careful. How do you know your mind and heart has the capacity to deal with it? I don't. I can only watch so much suffering on television. One of the things I learned with uh, Ethiopian famine was the more they showed the suffering, the more people switched off. Because you can't cope with it. Or maybe you do, maybe you do become immune. I, I remember going to watch Schindler's List and I wasn't keen on the idea of a movie about the Holocaust and it was brilliant, utterly brilliant. A film I watch probably every year still to remind me of why I'm in the ministry. But what got me was, you know, in the cinema, I don't know why they do this, they sell you crisps that make an enormous amount of noise. And in the cinema, everyone's chomping away. And after about 20 minutes of that movie, utter silence for the next three hours, utter silence. This wasn't entertainment, where you could sit and eat your crisps and be detached. Not if you had any soul in you at all. See, the devil attacks our sanity Evil is real, destructive and planned. And the devil was at work here and the devil is at work in many different things. Job knows there's a place of the dead. He believes in a kind of shadow land where social inequalities are evened up. He says in, uh, quite spectacular, he, he says, the kings and the rulers of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. He says, all that money is no use to you now. And there's one thing everything, every single person in here has in common with everybody else. You're all gonna die, and you're gonna take none of it with you. And if you spend all your life getting that really nice house, and the holiday home, and everything else, you're going to die. And who knows who's gonna get it after you. And when you realize that, life suddenly seems, what am I doing? This seems so pointless. Job was not a hoarder. He was a very wealthy man. But he wasn't the person who was going to take all his goods and bury them in a pyramid to go to the afterlife with him. He knew that wouldn't happen. But he still, I don't think Job really had a full understanding of the justice that God brings about on the day of judgment. So he wanted to die. And then, verse 20 to 26, the last stanza is why can't he get any rest? Because he's saying, I wish I hadn't been born. I wish I could die. And why can't I rest? In the concert of the movie of uh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Ralph Stanley sings a song about death. Oh, death, oh, death, won't you spare me over till another year? Job is saying, death, why won't you come? Death, why won't you occur? It really is the depths of despair. Jonah in Jonah 4 verse 3, now, O Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. Well, why can't people die when they want to? Our society, by the way, is becoming a culture of death. From the very youngest in the womb, to the oldest, to the sick, to the disabled. Do you know a vote was taken in Canada recently, or a poll was taken in Canada, where a majority of millennials said that if you were poor, you should be offered euthanasia. Our society talks about humanity but humans are reduced to very little. You know, why can't people just die when they want to? Well, God's hedge had perfected Job. Now it seems to him as him. It seems as though his life is being artificially pro- prolonged for no reason. He, uh, he knows he can't take his own life because as he puts it in verse 21, death is God's gift. There are those who search for it more than hidden treasure. We have no right to take another person's life. We have no right to mercy kill. And suicide is not an option. And for some of you, again, you've been that close. Some of you may even have really attempted it. It's not an option. There has to be another way. His food and drink, in verse 24, he said, are his groans which pour out like water. Feuerbach, uh, uh, the German philosopher, said, um, what you eat is what you are. Well, I kind of really hope not, (laughs) because otherwise some of us would be, you know, junk food, I think. Um, But Job is is taking that idea and he's saying sighs and groans are now his food and drink. In other words, he's worn out. Although he does not curse God, he's close to the edge. Lewis, in A Grief Observe, says this, Not that I am in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all, but this is what God is really like, deceive yourself no longer. It's not that God doesn't exist. It's that he's not good. He's just exhausted, he's tired of living. Like Elijah in Kings, when he came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. By the way, if you've ever felt like that, and then you think, oh, I can't be a Christian if I've felt like that, you're gonna exclude a lot of people in the Bible from being Christians, including Elijah, including Jesus, including Joel. Job says, I cannot settle. I cannot relax. My agitation keeps coming back. Now, what would you say to such a person? You wouldn't say to a man who had a broken leg, come on, snap out of it. You shouldn't say to someone who's suffering from depression, come on, snap out of it. How do we get it back? Well, let me finish with this. And I'll just take, I was going to say a couple of minutes, but that would be a lie. I'll take a a couple of minutes in a metaphorical sense uh, to finish thinking about this. Right, this is a lament. It's the cry of a lost humanity looking for a lost God. The Scottish writer, James Robertson, I went to hear him talk about his book, The Testimony of Gideon Mack, which is a brilliant book about a minister who meets the devil. And this woman said to him, I don't believe in God and I don't believe in the devil, but when I read your book, I really felt that the devil was there I said, do you believe in God? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, I am an atheist, but I'm a Presbyterian atheist. I don't believe in God, but I keep looking over my shoulder to see if he's there. And the idea of a God who's bad, what about the idea of a God who is good? And that's where the moon is, is always round comes in. Because Jonathan Gibson, rather brilliantly, has taken this saying from one of his children. The moon is always round. We don't always see it as being round, but... It is always round. God is always good, but we don't always see God as being good, but God is always good. I, I wrote a, a book recently which just come out called Seek uh, for teenagers. Um, the first one was called Ask, and I'll give you a free copy if you can tell me what the third one's going to be called. <laughs> but uh, Seek, one of the questions was this. Now, a teenager asking this, this is a very real question. Does an aborted child or stillbirth, the one who dies young, go to heaven? And one of the books I recommended was Nancy Guthrie's Holding On to Hope, A Pathway Through Suffering to the Heart of God. Nancy Guthrie's a beautiful writer and she'd lost two of her children and it's not trite, it's not shallow, but it's brilliant. Because for the believer this, piety and pain go together. Read Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We suffer, says Paul. We groan. This is part of the creation. We are not immune from that. If you've come in here, you're not a Christian, and you expect to hear someone say, you become a Christian, and everything will be solved. No, it won't. I was uh, very ill in hospital in in 2011, almost died. And I I don't really like speaking about it, but I was speaking at a housing estate in Dundee, a church uh, where there's a lot of poverty and drugs, mental illness, and so on. And they said, can you please speak about your illness? And I said, no, I won't. And they said, please speak about your illness. So I did. And this woman came up to me afterwards and she said, David, my partner died of a brain tumor. I have a brain tumor. I can't go to hospital. I can't afford to because I've got my three girls to look after who are running riot. I live in this dump. I don't have a job. I don't have any money. And I looked at her and said, life's pretty ugly for you, isn't it? And she said, yes. And and she she said, what? I don't even know what to ask, is what she said. And I said, life's ugly. He said, you know, I I can't tell you, if you become a Christian, you'll be healed. you'll You'll get a new partner. Your kids will be perfect. You'll move out of this place. You'll get a nice house. You'll get a good job. I can't promise you any of that. But I can tell you this. I know someone who can take the ugliest thing And make it beautiful I'll never forget she just tears just poured from her face and she said I wish that were true it is true it is true it's all I've got it's all we've got the answer to suffering it's not a great philosophical thing the answer to suffering is what we've been singing about and it's Jesus Christ Coleridge once said that Christians believe not in God, but only in their beliefs about him. And there are some of you who are like that, and I'm saying, you probably need to be converted. You've ticked boxes saying, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this, but you've never felt it. When the first trial comes along, you say, oh, forget this, I'm out of here. It doesn't work. James Philip who used to be a minister in this city said, Peace is not the same as absence of conflict. Faith is not just the acceptance of certain platitudes about God. Make sure you really believe in God and not just in your own ideas about God. And that's where we come in with Jesus, because Jesus was born. Does God feel pain and grief? Through Christ, yes. There was great joy when Jesus was born. Look at the joy of the angels and shepherds. Contrast that with the blackness of the cross and Thank you so much for that, I was gonna say, reading or recitation of Mark's gospel. I've read that a thousand times. And it was just so moving to think, this, isn't, this wasn't a theology lesson. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, watch how I handle this, guys. Jesus was broken and on his knees and, and weeping to his father, take this from me, and sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. There's an, an old Scots minister, Rabbi Duncan, who I actually believe taught in this church uh, in the 19th century, even longer than some of you have been here. And, and he, he once said this, it's such a great thing. He, he had this pithy way of making, he basically invented tweets before Twitter was around. Um, and he said this, there is no pit so deep that Christ has not gone deeper still. So say you could be suffering in a way that I cannot comprehend or people beside you cannot comprehend because they've never gone through it. But you, when you turn to Christ, you can never say to Christ, you don't understand because you've never been there because he has and he's been deeper than you will ever go. Roosevelt, uh, President Roosevelt and a missionary couple were returning on a boat. And it was a great welcome for the president when he came. You know, all the bunting was out and everything. And there was no one there to welcome the missionary. And the missionary was asking, and his wife, Lord surely there should have been someone to welcome us home. And the answer they got was a beautiful one. You're not home yet. You're not home yet. You will go home. Some of you as believers here will be dead by this time next year. And in a sense we will mourn, and in another sense we won't mourn for you. We'll mourn for us, but you'll be home. So, when Job asked, why did you give me birth? And talked about light and life. Jesus just simply says this. John 1, 4. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The answer to suffering, which is darkness, is light. Jesus is the light. John 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I am come that they may have life and have it to the full. The answer to suffering is not death. The answer to suffering is new life. And Matthew 11:28, 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I've experienced suffering and I've seen many people suffer. And sometimes your heart just breaks for people because there's nothing You can't give them a simple solution. But I'll tell you this. To introduce them to the one who takes the ugliest thing and makes it beautiful is the greatest gift you can ever receive. And that's why for every single one of you here, you've walked in off the street, I don't know why you came. You've been invited by a friend, I don't know why you came. You've been coming here for many, many years. I still don't know why you came. But God knows And God wanted you to hear that in this world of darkness and confusion and pain and sorrow and suffering and death, there is life and there is light and there is love and there is beauty and there is hope. And it's an eternal, everlasting hope because of Jesus. So whatever you do, don't walk away from this place and leave it. Think about it. Question. Ask. Inquire. I became a Christian because of Auschwitz. Because I looked at what went on and I I thought, there's no answer to this. How can such evil be defeated? And the cross is the answer, and Jesus is the answer. Christianity and suffering. Christianity doesn't necessarily tell us why suffering happens. It certainly doesn't tell us why your particular suffering has happened doesn't necessarily tell us how you can deal with every specific instance of it. But I'll tell you what Christianity does, say to us, it tells us what God has done about suffering and how you can come to a place where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. One of the great sorrows of being in Australia during COVID was my father died and I wasn't allowed home. Couldn't go to the funeral, couldn't be with my mother. But you know, although I couldn't speak to my father, one thing I knew beyond any doubt was his suffering was over. And he had suffered a fair bit. His suffering was over and he was truly at peace. And that gave a great peace. And it's a peace that you can know in your circumstances. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, for its power, for its beauty. We thank you that it's so realistic, that Job asks questions and and expresses feelings that some of us feel it would almost be a sin to express, and yet here it is in your word. But we thank you it's not left alone. We thank you there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, that underneath the everlasting arms, that the Lord is our shepherd. We thank you that there is one who feels our pains, carries our sorrows, knows all things and brings us to a place of beauty, exchanges beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning and the spirit of praise for the garment of heaviness. May each of us know that in your name, amen.